Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You are awesome and you are holy. You are majestic and you alone are God. So let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven today. Jesus Christ, you are the head of this church. And I pray right now you would see a church that is not coming to you flippantly, that is not coming to you distracted, but is coming to you with reverence and humility as we come under the authority of your word, which is coming under your authority itself. Say what you want to say to your church. Mold us, break us, purify us, purge us, refresh us, strengthen us, and unify us and establish us for the glory of your name as only you can. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that we can have confidence that even though it's here online watching on a screen this morning, worshiping you through this means that you have gifted us with today, that your word is not bound. And as it goes forth, it will achieve the purpose for which it has been sent. And so I pray we would press in with great expectancy and hunger for you today. Holy Spirit, guard my mouth from error. Say what needs to be said in power, in grace, in love, and in truth, and exalt Jesus Christ that he would receive all the glory. And Jesus, it is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Hope Bible Church. It is so good to be back with you Today, after taking the last couple of weeks out of pulpit to focus on some other shepherding uh, areas, I'm so thankful, so thankful for the Great Commission Collective, the fellowship of churches that we are a part of, and subsequently, Pastor Chris Shipley and Pastor Eric Ricard that have filled in so faithfully over these last couple of weeks to feed us God's word by the power of his spirit. I pray you were blessed, strengthened, encouraged, and equipped in your walk with the Lord. And hey, let's not forget to be praying for those men, their families, and those churches in the days ahead. Let's keep in perseverance in prayer for all of the saints. Amen? Amen. All right, let's get into this. John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8 is our text today. Let's open up our Bibles. John 15, verses 1 to 8. And here we are continuing on in our series, The Gospel of John, The Light of the World. And this is part 3 of the Gospel of of John. And here we are in the farewell discourse in this beautiful section of scripture in John chapter 13 and it runs all the way up to and including the end of John 17. And remember this crucial purpose. Why did John include this section of scripture? Why did Jesus take this time with his disciples so intimately with them? teaching them, admonishing them. Well, here's why. Remember, Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's preparing them for his death and resurrection, all right, and ascension back to the Father. And from that, he's giving them their final instructions of how they are to live faithfully on mission for him as his disciples after his departure. 
right? These are his final instructions. He says, guys, if you're going to live faithfully for me, if you are going to live as my disciple, if you're going to live faithfully on mission, here's what needs to happen. And what has he said to them so far? It's so easy to, to forget what, where we've already come from. And so let's take this moment to recap some of the big themes that Jesus is drawing out here, okay? What has he taught them? Well, first thing he says this, if you're going to live faithfully, we must imitate him. He says, you must imitate me. And we saw that in John chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. He says, you must imitate the example of my life. And remember, he showed that through this beautiful act of foot washing, each of his disciples. He says, you must imitate my humility, my humility. You must imitate me in a life of service over status. Don't in pride claim your status. No one is below being served. There's no act of service that is too low. Or there's nothing that we can say, well, I'm above that. No, he says you are to imitate me in laying down your life for others when it is easy to do and when it's not easy to do, even laying down our life and serving our enemies. Think Judas as Jesus is there stooping to wash his feet, knowing he was just moments away from being betrayed. He says, if you're going to live faithfully for me, you must imitate my life. And from this, as part of this, he says, you're going to need to love like me. You're going to need to love like me. John 13, verse 34 to 35, he says, you are to, here's the new commandment that I'm going to give you. You are to love one another as I have loved you. Remember, there's the act of service, laying my life down. As I have loved you, Jesus is the new standard. We are not to love one another just as we want to be loved. We're not the standard. Jesus is the standard in how he's loved us. We are to love like him at all times. And this word love here, remember, it means agapao. It means doing what God prefers into the life of another. And this love for one another here in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, is not based on the world's standard of what love should look like. Loving one another as Jesus has loved us is not based on whether you think that person is worthy or not of that love. It's not based on whether that person even agrees with you. Your view on masking, your view on politics, all of this. No, no, no. It's not based on that. Jesus is the standard. It's based on how he's loved you. When you were his enemy. When you didn't agree with what he said in his word. Here's the standard of love. And he says this is so important. He says this is the greatest witness for how people will know we are his disciples. Man, that's a high calling. Amen. So if we are to live faithfully for him, the first thing Jesus has shown them, they need to imitate him. And part of that, a huge part of that means we need to love like him. But here's another part. He says, if you're going to live faithfully for me, we see it in John 14, 1. He says, you must believe in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The word believe there is have faith. It means to have absolute trust or confidence. You're not living in constant fear or anxiety or worry or this desire for controlling your circumstance. He says, put your confidence in me that he, believe, I am God Almighty, Jesus says. I am the Lord over all. Believe that I am good and loving towards you. Believe that he will be faithful 
that his promises are true. Believe that he has prepared a place for us. And if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, your future is guaranteed in heaven with him for eternity in his presence. And believe that, as Pastor Eric talked about last week, that he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us right now. Yes, right now in the pandemic, he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us. That is to comfort us, to guide us, to empower us, to live confidently in him on mission. Believe that as we follow him, as we stand firm on his word, we will see even greater works that he will do for his glory in us and through us. No matter what comes against us as we follow him and call out to God in his name. Okay, quick assessment time. As you look at that list, hey, let me ask you a question. Did any of you struggle with any of these things this week? Loving like Jesus has loved you at all times and in all things towards a brother or sister. Did you struggle with that this week? Did you struggle with unbelief this week? And letting fear and anxiety and, and trying to grasp and control your circumstance. Did you struggle with that this week? Let's just be honest. The answer is yes. Me too. And what becomes clear is this. As you see what Jesus calls us to. If we are to live faithfully on mission for him and bear increasing fruit for his glory. We're hit with a problem, aren't we? Real quick, and that problem is we can't live like this on our own strength. You notice that? We can't live like this. We cannot live faithfully on mission for Jesus on our own strength. No matter how much you and I try, we have no power to live this way on our own. That's a sobering truth, but oh, loved ones, what a freeing truth. See, on our own, we will not imitate him. On our own strength, we will not love like him. We can't. On our own strength, we will not believe in him. We will give in to fear and worry and doubt and, and hopelessness and despair every time. And we will not live lives of increasing fruitfulness for him. And so the question that we're confronted with with this is this, what do we do? What do we do? I mean, how do we not waste our lives living fruitlessly? What do we do? If we can't live like this on our own strength, well, here in our text today, it gives us the answer. What do we do? Here it is. Abide in Jesus. Write that down. I must abide in Jesus. And here's our big idea we're going to unpack today. It's this. Only by abiding in Jesus will you bear fruit for God's glory. I'll say it again because it is so important. Only by abiding in Jesus will you and I bear fruit for God's glory. And so here in our text today, this is the very heart of the farewell discourse. You notice we're exactly halfway through the discourse. Chapter 15. And it's no coincidence that it's in the center. It's at the very heart of the discourse because everything else of this discourse is going to flow out of what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to see three truths that you and I must embrace 
daily. Yes, daily. If we are to live lives of increasing fruitfulness for God's glory and see his kingdom advance in us and through us, no matter what we face. I'm so excited for this. Let's grab our Bibles, turn to John 15, 1 to 8. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word and let's read it together. Ready? John 15, I am the true vine. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Awesome word of God today. All God's people said, Amen, Amen. You may be seated. Well, to live a life of God-glorifying fruitfulness, the first thing we see here in verses 1 to 3 is this, you must trust in Jesus. You must trust in Jesus. Why? Because he is the path to fruit. This is the path to fruit. See, to bear fruit in God, you and I must be purified by God. I'll say it again. To bear fruit in God, You must be purified by God. Here's our question. Will you trust in Jesus? Will you trust in Jesus? Let's get our context. Here we are, Thursday night of the Passover week, and Jesus is just hours away from his arrest, his trial, and then his crucifixion on the Friday. And he and the disciples have been in the upper room. You'll see pictures of it there. They've been in the upper room, and they're about to make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're about to make their way there. And Jesus says, notice verses 1 to 3. As they're prepping to leave, he says this, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. See, right out of the gate here, don't miss it, Jesus gives the seventh of seven I am statements that we see here in the Gospel of John. Now, don't forget, the I am statements are crucial. If someone were to ask you, who is Jesus? Let's go to the I am statements, because here, right out of the mouth of Jesus himself, he is defining correctly who he is. He is defining correctly who he is by describing his purpose and Person as the Son of God who came to save people from their sin. And I love the I am statements because one of the reasons is that each uh, statement shows a different aspect of him. And together, if you put them all together, they form a detailed picture 
of Jesus. It is absolutely beautiful, stunning. I highly recommend you take some of your devotional time and dive into those if you haven't already. And so here, Jesus declares that he is the true vine. He is the true vine. The word true there, circle it, it means real or genuine vine. The vine that nourishes the soul for eternal life and ultimately the vine that unifies his people. Now let's get some clarity. Why does he use this picture of to describe himself? Why does he use the picture of a vine? Well, in the Old Testament, as we see a picture of it in Isaiah 5, very clear example right there, all right, the vine is the symbol for the nation of Israel. And yet, notice this, Israel, you read this in the Old Testament, you even see it in the New Testament, Israel was unfaithful. They were unfaithful. They kept on turning from God, running to other so-called gods, and, and turning from the way of the Lord. And so notice what Jesus does here. He contrasts this, Israel's unfaithfulness, with himself now being the true vine, the faithful vine that fulfills all of God's intentions and fulfills God's mission for Israel. Now, what was God's mission for Israel when he chose them to reveal himself through? Well, we see that in Isaiah 42. Israel was called to be a light to the nations. But they sinned and they turned from that. But now look what Jesus does. It's beautiful. Jesus declares that now he is the light to the nation. That he is the true channel, the true vine, through whom all of God's blessings, through whom God's salvation flows to the nations. Awesome. Awesome. He's saying, I'm fulfilling all of those festivals in the Old Testament that you see. I am fulfilling those that word that God spoke to his people centuries, millennia ago. I am the fulfillment of it. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of all that Israel was called to be. All that you and I, as his followers, are called to be. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Don't miss this, loved ones. The beauty of the gospel. That it's not just for salvation. Salvation is amazing. We are saved from our sins and we are given eternal life with Jesus for eternity. That's awesome. But it goes so much beyond. The gospel is for sanctification too. Whereby Jesus, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, he fulfilled all that God has called us to, to live in right relationship with him. Jesus lived the perfect life. He fulfilled it. And now he empowers us through the gospel to know him and to become more like him. And guess what? As we become more like him, guess what happens? We become a light to the nations, just as he was. Praise the Lord. You see, and with this, as we see in verse 2, he says, I'm the true vine. But he also says, my father's the vine dresser. Vine dresser. The word there means caretaker or farmer. All right? And what's the purpose of the vine dresser? Just go back to the text. Who takes away, the word takes away there, those words, that phrase means to cut off or remove. He removes the branches that don't bear spiritual fruit. Now, what do you mean? I thought, you know, it says they're in the vine. Aren't they true believers? Wait, can they lose their salvation? Is that what we're talking about? No, you cannot lose your salvation if you're truly saved. What Jesus, who Jesus is referring to here are those 
who are unbelievers, those who claim to be in him, who claim to profess to follow him. Say, yeah, I'm totally a Christian, but there's no true belief or spiritual fruit that can come from that. And how do we know this is who he's talking about? Well, we'll see that in verse 6 when we look at the end of where Jesus says they will go. You see, and we're reminded here again that outward demonstration for a little while doesn't always mean inward transformation. Someone who claims to follow Christ. Yeah, I'm totally a Christian, but there's no inward transformation. There's no true belief. They will be taken away. Just think of Judas, right? Maybe Jesus had Judas in mind here. See, in addition to this, Jesus says that every branch in him that does bear fruit, this is every true believer. What does the Father do? The vine dresser. He prunes them. He prunes them. Circle the word prunes there. It means this. He cleanses them. He purifies them. He continuously removes unproductive and undesirable elements that are fruitless. What is that? Sin. The father, the vine dresser, is continually, continually pruning sin from our lives so that by the power of Christ in us as his followers, we may bear more fruit, max fruit, spiritual fruit for his glory. And then you can imagine the disciples like, well, wait a second, am I, am I just one of those claiming? Am I going to be taken away into hell and into judgment and thrown into the fire as we see in verse 6? Is this me? Like, what are you saying? Are you giving me some hint, Jesus? Now watch this. Verse 3, Jesus comforts them. He comforts his disciples by telling them, he says, you are already spiritually clean. You see that in verse 3? Already you are clean. You have been cleansed from sin and you are pure before God. He says, you have salvation in me. It's now it's through repentance and faith. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. And so now as we repent of our sin and confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are saved. But here, Jesus is anticipating future events because the disciples, they have trusted in him and they have believed the word of God. They believe who Jesus is. They have surrendered to him as Lord and they are joined to Christ. Now, before we move on, it's so important we see the picture that Jesus is laying out here. This picture of the vine and branches, the dead branches, and the ones that are bearing fruit. You'll see it on the screen. See, Jesus gives a stunning picture of the life that has trusted in him. Right there. You'll see it on the screen. Trusted in him is bearing fruit. The one that is cleansed by him through salvation and the one that is continuously pruned through him, and there you see it on the screen, the life that is not. Maybe the life that's claiming to be, but is not. He's showing the stunning picture of one that bears spiritual fruit and the one that cannot. The one that is ultimately fruitless, even though they pay lip service. One has life. The other, death. Just look at the picture. There it is. See, to bear fruit in God, you must be purified by God. You must be. Will you trust in Jesus? 
And if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that picture there of fruitless branches being taken off and, and what we'll see in just a little bit thrown into the fire, that is you. In love, I say that. And I plead with you to hear the word of God today. Jesus has called you to repent of your sin, to turn from it, and to confess him as your Lord and Savior, believing that he came to earth and as fully God and fully man and was the true vine. He lived a perfect life, fulfilling all of God's commands perfectly because you never could, I never could on our own. And he went to the cross and paid the penalty for your sin. He took the wrath of God and the wrath of God was satisfied as it was poured out on Jesus and Jesus died in your place. And he rose again three days later, defeating the power of sin and death and hell. And for all of those who confess him as their Lord and Savior and turn, not just lip service, but truly believe that he is Lord and no other name on heaven and earth that we can be saved by, you will be saved. You will be saved as you surrender to him as Lord and believe that only Jesus is the true vine. And there is no other way to be united to God for eternity. Will you come to him today? He says, I am the true vine. Stop running, loved one. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. He says, and today will be the day of your salvation. Will you come? Will you come right there? Pause this and, and call out to him right there if that's you. And you're feeling that in your heart and say, yes, Jesus, this is what I want. Pause it and call on his name. And brothers and sisters in Christ, the same question, just a different focus for us today is this. Will you trust in Jesus? Will you believe in Jesus? And you say, well, I've made that decision to follow him. How about this? Here's our challenge. Will you trust him when the pruning comes? When the vine dresser prunes you. When God, out of his love for you, his great love for you and his goodness towards you, his mercy towards you, his care towards you, purges or removes sinful and unfruitful areas that are hindering your intimacy with him and are hindering the producing of more spiritual fruit in you for his glory. Will you trust him when it hurts? It can hurt sometimes, can it? Pruning can hurt. But I want us to be encouraged with this word from Hebrews 12. You'll see it on the screen. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. See, it's out of his love for you today. He chastises every son whom he receives. You are his. That's why he's pruning. And in verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. God's not punishing you. He's disciplining us out of his love. All discipline for the moment seems painful rather than pleasant. It doesn't feel too good. But later it yields. Notice this, the peaceful fruit. There it is the fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, those willing to say, Jesus, I am going to trust you. Father, I will trust you even when it 
hurts, that you are pruning me for your glory and for my good. You are pruning me. What kind of fruit is he bearing? Well, just look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. You are pruning to bear more fruit of the Spirit in me. The fruit of love, a greater love for you and a love for others around me. A greater joy in you. A greater peace in you. Greater patience through you. Kindness in you. Goodness faithfulness to you, gentleness, that is humility. You're pruning me. You're not giving me the things that I think I need at this moment, or you're pruning me in humility, in gentleness, that is meekness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There's the beautiful snapshot, just some of the beautiful fruit that comes as the Father prunes us. And I love how one commentator put it. He said, God is going to do whatever it takes to cause you to bear fruit. He is not content to let you stay on the vine bearing little fruit. God is determined to shape you into something much better. Be encouraged, loved one. God is determined to shape you and I into something much better and more beautiful than you are right now. He is determined to make you more like his son, Jesus. God's commitment to your fruit bearing is greater than your commitment to comfort. Let's say that last part again, so important. God's commitment to your fruit bearing is greater than your commitment to comfort. And I want to encourage you with this. Do not waste his pruning grace. Yes, even in this season, as he has pruned so many things from our hearts that would be hindering us, finding our greater joy in him, a greater satisfaction in him, as he's pruning these things out of our lives, instead of trying to grasp at those things, humble ourselves under and say, Jesus, help me to trust you. Father, help me to find my greatest grace in you, my greatest hope in you, my greatest satisfaction, my greatest peace, my greatest strength, and remove all those other things that would hinder my intimacy with you and growing into Christ-likeness and accomplishing the purpose for which you have created me. Remove all of these things from me. And yes, it may hurt, but do whatever it takes that you would be glorified and increasingly bear fruit in me and through me. Whatever it takes, Lord. This is where we need to believe. It takes faith. That is the prayer of faith right there. The question is, um, where do you need to trust and submit to him today, loved one? in the pruning, saying, Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for your passion to conform me to your image. Thank you, Lord. Help me to trust you in this. What's the situation? Just put it right in front of them right now. Pause this if you have to and just write it down. Help me to trust you in this. This moment, this is what I'm facing. Help me to trust your love for me right now even when I'm tempted 
to doubt it. Help me to trust your goodness that you can be trusted even when things don't look the way I want. There's a bigger picture. There's a greater work. Help me to trust your goodness. Help me to trust your wisdom that you would not allow this in my life if it was not the best thing for me. Help me, Lord. Help me to trust your grace that it is sufficient for me even in the weariness and even when it hurts. Help me to trust your mercy that it is so much greater than any idea of mercy I could ever have. Help me to trust you and strengthen me to follow you and look to you as my greatest hope and satisfaction, greatest joy and increasing humility. Help me not to waste your pruning grace by trying to remove myself from it because it's not comfortable. And do what you need to do to bear fruit in me for your glory. Lord, help me not to waste your grace. See, to live a life of God-glorifying fruitfulness, you must trust in Jesus. Trust him, loved one. Trust him today. That is the path to fruit. And with this, to live a life of God-glorifying fruitfulness, you must abide in Jesus. So you trust in Jesus, the path of fruit, and now you abide in Jesus. This is the power for fruit. See, true fruit only comes from the true vine. Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you abiding in Jesus? Let's look at verses 4 to 6. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. See, Jesus then declares that if the disciples are to live increasingly fruitful lives, they must abide in him. Now, this is where the whole thing centers around. So we need to be so clear on what Jesus is speaking of here. The word abide here means it is an active imperative. It's not like, okay, you abided once and now you're good for the rest of the day, the rest of your life. No, no, no. Abide means ongoing abiding. And the Greek form of this word implies forceful urgency. So what Jesus is saying is, is make this your top priority, Christian. Make abiding with me. There's urgency there. There's force. Make abiding with me your top priority. So what does abide mean? You'll see it on the screen. It means to remain. It means to remain and continue to be present You're not tuning Jesus out. Continue to be present and maintain unbroken fellowship with him. Unbroken fellowship with him in a daily personal relationship, moment by moment. See, get this, to abide means to continually be aware of our insufficiency to bear any spiritual fruit. And it's to be aware continually of our dependence on Jesus, moment 
by moment. In literally every situation we have, if we are to bear spiritual fruit, right? We can do nothing of eternal value apart from him. Verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And you know what the Greek word there for nothing? It means like zero. And here's the picture it gives. It means that word nothing means to shut the door and leave no exceptions. There is no exception to this rule. It's not like Jesus says you can stop abiding when you have enough experience in your parenting. You can stop abiding when you have enough years behind you in your job. No, no, no. He says you need to abide in me. Everything depends on it. In your ability to bear spiritual fruit. You have nothing apart from me. Abiding, as we saw, starts with repentance and belief. He says you need to be clean. You need to be purified and ongoing pruning. Right? And as we repent and believe in him, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us and then empowers us. Right? He says, so we need to abide, and it starts with repentance and believing, but then abiding means walking with increasing fellowship with him. Abiding means the abiding life is the obeying life. When we refuse to obey the commands of Scripture, it's hindering our walk with the Lord. And he says, so the abiding life, if we are to have an unhindered fellowship with him each moment, we need to walk in obedience to his word by his power. That's why we've got to be purified first. He's got to indwell us through the Holy Spirit. The abiding life is the obeying life, obeying his word. The abiding life is the praying life. What is prayer? A declaration of our dependency. What is abiding? You have to be aware of your dependency on Jesus moment by moment if you're going to bear any spiritual fruit of eternal value at any time. It's the praying life. Next prayer night coming up, June 16th. Don't miss it. The abiding life is the worshiping life. Just continually setting our mind on things above. That can be through song. That can be through service. Asking the Lord to bear spiritual fruit for his glory. Here's a big one. The abiding life is the repenting life. The repenting life. Remember Matthew 3, 8? It says, bear fruit, their spiritual fruit, how? Bear fruit through keeping with repentance. That means when we repent of a sin, then bear fruit from turning from that sin. Not just constantly going back and back, but turning from it, turning to Christ. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The abiding life is the repenting life. That's where cleanse, ongoing cleansing, ongoing pruning is coming from. Here it is. The abiding life is the humble life. The life that walks in increasing humility because it recognizes its insufficiency apart from Christ. The abiding life is the humble life saying, God, I can't do this. You can. Please help. The abiding life is the life that stores up and remembers God's word. You know, it's remembering God's word, storing it up, memorizing it, abiding in it daily, making that time in God's word daily, and then taking it with you into your workplace, into your parenting, into your schooling, into whatever it is, into your hobbies, into the grocery store, storing up God's word that you're ready to give an answer. There's the abiding life. When you hear a message that doesn't seem quite right, you have God's word renewing your mind and bringing truth and clarity in that moment. And the abiding life is not just one part of the day. It's not like, okay, I got my five minutes and then I'm with God. That's my God time. And then I'm going to go do me time the rest of the day and just kind of shut God out. No, no, no. Listen, 
The abiding life says this, God time is all the time. God time is all the time. When I'm parenting, when I'm cooking, when I'm cleaning, when I'm doing sports, in my hobbies, in my marriage, in my schooling, in my whatever you do, God time is all the time. Because all the time is God time. That's got a good jingle, huh? God time is all the time because all the time is God time. We are called to abide. It's never God time and then my time. I'm going to forget about God, put him on the shelf the rest of the day. You ever struggle with that? Remembering what you learned in devotions and all that stuff? No, there's an intentionality. It's not God time and my time. It's all the time is God time. Jesus is in the center. Jesus is in the center of all things. And I'm ordering the things around him, but I'm bringing them into all things. Right? And notice there, you might say, well, it's easy for you to say, you're a pastor. Well, listen, listen, loved one. I just want to encourage you with this. Don't compromise on this. When Jesus says, abide in me, there's no superscript there that says, unless you're not a pastor and unless you have a busy schedule. He says, abide in me. And what's the result of this? Bearing increasingly spiritual fruit by the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, just as the branch must draw its nutrients and life from the vine if it is to survive and bear fruit, so we must draw our spiritual lives moment by moment, not just five minutes in the morning, that's a good start, but then take the Lord with you, remain in unhindered fellowship with him. Moment by moment, we must draw from the true vine, our Lord Jesus Christ if we are to bear spiritual fruit in that moment. And you look around today, this world exalts the opposite, doesn't it? It says, apart from Jesus, it's not that you can do nothing. No, no, no. Apart from Jesus, you can do anything. You can do anything. You can even get to God himself apart from Jesus. You can attach yourself to a whole bunch of these Vines. Remember where Jesus said he's the true vine? What does that imply? There's false vines. There's false vines. And this world says you can attach yourself to all these false vines and bear true fruit that will last into eternity and will give you life. Give you the life you're longing for. You can attach yourself to false vines of your job and put your identity in that and base your acceptance on that. You can, you can attach to the false line of status through your possessions and through your money. You can attach to the false line of relationships and think that it's going to give you the life you're after and bear spiritual fruit. You can attach to the false line and make it a greater priority, your good works. If you, if you work hard enough, you can get to heaven. Jesus says you can't. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Attached to the false vines of pleasure or even other religions. You can attach that and you can find true life. But recall in verse 6, recall verse 6, this sobering word. We have to hear this today, loved ones. Notice what Jesus says happens to those who don't abide in him, who attach themselves to the false vines, who reject the true vine. They wither and are thrown into the fire. And the picture there is one of force. They're thrown into the fire and they're burned. What does that mean? Ultimate destruction in hell.
You need to hear this word today. So many false vines. And even as Christians, even as true Christians, we can be so easily seduced into trying to attach ourselves to the false vines, right? So easily seduced to attach ourselves to these other things and draw our lifeblood, our nutrients from them instead of from the true vine. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, according to one recent stat, and this is just one of many from Lifeway, and this is for the United States, but Canada is not going to be much different. It says, less than 20% of Christians, less than one out of five true Christians, those claiming to be a Christian, read their Bible daily. And yet Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Less than one in five of those claiming to be Christians read their Bible even daily. And it's no wonder we look at COVID-19 and what this season has revealed. It's no wonder there's so many people living distracted and feeling withered and empty. Because they're not abiding in the true vine. See, and this is why, as A.W. Tozer said, Satan's greatest weapon is man's ignorance to God's word. Satan's greatest weapon is man's ignorance to God's word. No abiding, right here from the text, no abiding, no fruit, no threat. See, abiding in Jesus is the primary way we live in relationship with him. No abiding, no fruit. No threat. And Satan loves seeing distracted Christians. And just look around today. You turn on social media for a moment, you'll see it full force. See, true fruit only comes from the true vine. Here's a question, one of the most important questions of your life. Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you abiding in Jesus? And if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can't abide in Jesus if you're not united to him through salvation, through trusting in him, repenting of your sin and confessing of him as your Lord and Savior. That's your first step. And brothers and sisters in Christ, here, 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 here's our challenge. Is abiding in Jesus your top priority? Just as he says it needs to be in verse four, abide in me. Is it your top priority as he calls it to be? Abiding in his word moment by moment in the day, taking it with you into your workplaces, into your parenting, into all these things. Abiding in prayer as a declaration of your insufficiency and God's great worth and your dependency. Or is it more like, I got this, Jesus. I won't even give it another thought. I'll just go into that meeting. I'll just go into that parenting moment. I'll just go into that activity. Are we abiding in Jesus? Is it the top priority to, for obedience to God's word or is it more of a convenience thing? Are we abiding in him through a lifestyle of repentance? Repentance that leads to joy. There's no condemnation. There's only comfort. A life of humility in his power at work in you as we humble ourselves under him and his power is made perfect in our weakness. 
What next steps can you take to prioritize him to see increasing spiritual fruit? Here, do this list. In your marriage, where do you as a couple need to be abiding in Jesus? Where is he not the center? Bring him back, loved ones. Getting in the word, praying together, walking together, stirring one another up. In your parenting, in your job, are you praying going into those meetings, going into the workplace for your co-workers, having God's word ready to give an answer when needed? In your recreation, in your downtime, when you're tempted to turn on social media, hey, can I just give us this little challenge? Instead of picking up your phone to scroll on social media this week, let's do this. Ditch the social media this week and pick up your Bible. Don't pick up your phone, pick up your Bible. If you're one of those guys like, ha ha, my Bible is on my phone. Put the phone down, get a book. If you, if you don't have one, I'll send you one. Give me your address, email Hope Praise, okay? Pick up the Bible. Put down the phone, pick up the Bible, all right? And be abiding. And can I just encourage you with two ways? Like right now, you're like, oh man, I'm not, my life isn't the abiding life. I wanna encourage you with two things. Number one, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Jesus is not calling us to this for our condemnation, but for our joy, for a greater joy and life in him. So there's no condemnation. And number two, watch this, watch this. Jesus won't ask from you what he's not first willing to do in you. Notice, notice verse four, where he says, abide in me. And then that little beautiful statement, circle it. And I in you. You see that? Jesus has already, the true vine lives in you. And ask him for the strength. Ask him for the self-control. Ask him to give you the faith to take that next step in faith in his power of abiding with him. Where do you need to take that next step today? Go for it, loved ones. There is life that is waiting for you. See, to live a life of God-glorifying fruitfulness, you must trust in Jesus. This is the path to fruit. You must abide in Jesus. This is where we get the power for fruit. And then to live a life of God-glorifying fruitfulness. Lastly, we must ask of Jesus. This is the prayer for fruit. We must ask of Jesus, the prayer for fruit. See, fruitful prayer is shaped by God's word. Hear this today. Fruitful prayer is shaped by God's word. Are your prayers guided by it? Are your prayers guided by it? Look at verses seven and eight. If you abide in me, there's the condition, if, circle it. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What a promise right there. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, Jesus then says that if we abide in him and his word abides in us, that means remains in us unhindered, we are to ask whatever we wish and he will do it. What a promise. In his time and in his way, whether it looks like we want it to or think it will or not. Now recall in John 14, verses 13 to 14, he said something very similar. He says, whatever you ask in my name. Well, now he expands on that and what he said there. Now again, we need clarity. He's not speaking of the prosperity gospel here. He's not speaking of asking just, yeah, whatever you wish. You read the Bible a little bit and then you just ask whatever you want and then here's your Porsche and then here's your bank account and then here's all this. No, no, no. He's not asking, telling us that he's going to give us that, asking out of selfish desires for our own glory to build our own kingdoms. But notice this, because his word abides in us. Notice what he says there. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, 
Because his word abides in us, we increasingly ask from his word. As the living and active word renews our mind and transforms us more into the image of Christ, here it is, we pray more in line with God's will. The word of God is the will of God. Because we increasingly desire what God desires. We value what he values. We love what he loves. And our purpose for prayer is Jesus' purpose. And what's Jesus' purpose? Verse 8. The Father's glory. There it is. To glorify the Father. The word glory there means to give highest honor to God in your family. Right there. In your health in your workplace, in your school. God gets the glory. He gets the highest honor, the esteem, and the worth of God recognized. And we say, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And because these prayers offered from his word, prayed in their proper context, listen, listen, because they are pleasing to him, what does he do? He joyfully responds to them. He joyfully responds to the prayers guided by his word. See, fruitful prayer is shaped by God's word. Question, are your prayers guided by it? Are they guided by it? And you may say, well, well, what does this look like? I want my prayers to be, this is what Jesus promises to bless. I want my prayers to be guided by this. Okay, two things I want to say with you. Number one, our next church-wide prayer night is coming up on June 16th, and this is how we pray. Guided by the word of God, scripture-fed, spirit-led, don't miss it, lock it in. Secondly, we can do this day to day. Here's what it means. If I could give a brief overview, three things. Ready? Pray according to God's word. Pick the passage. It means you've got to abide. Open the book. Pick the passage that you're reading. Psalms are a great place to start. You know, the New Testament letters are a great place to start there too. Pick a passage. Just get in the word. And after you pick the passage, probe the passage. What do I mean by probe it? Well, ask two questions. What does it say about God? And what does it say about me? What does it say about God? Who does it say he is? His character. And when this, this is why the Psalms are good for that. You are my light. You are my rock. You are my salvation. You are my truth. And then declare those things. Let them shape your prayers in that time of adoration. Declaring who God is. His character. And then what does it say about God? What he desires. What he commands. Does he command to be humble? Does he command us to abide? Then Lord, help me to abide. This is what my response needs to be. What does it say about me? I need to humble myself. I need to not fear. I need to believe. Lord, help my unbelief. There it is. So you pick the passage, you probe the passage, and you pray it. You pray the passage. Third P, pray the passage. Repent of your unbelief. Repent of where you're not trusting in his character. Repent of your sin that is exposed and ask for love for him and a strength from him to bear fruit and follow him, what? For his glory. Fruitful prayers shaped by God's word. Are your prayers guided by it? Is it your blueprint for prayer? So now, to not just be hearers of the word, but doers, we're going to put this very thing into action, right? What Jesus says here. We're going to spend these five minutes after the service to pray. We're going to do just this. We are going to pray to live lives of God-glorifying fruitfulness that what? We 
trust in Jesus from verses 1 to 3. Just pray that out in the first portion of this prayer time. Pray it out from verses 1 to 3. Lord, help me to trust you in the pruning and cast that on him. And then we pray that we would abide in Jesus. Lord, give me the strength to to follow you. and, And where is your word not where it needs to be in my life? Where am I hindering my fellowship with you? So let's ask that we would abide from verses 4 to 6. And then let's ask from his word for his glory. Say, God, hallowed be your name. All right? And so we're going to take these next five minutes. Let's go to this time of prayer. Remove the distractions. Let's get low before the Lord and seek his face. And we will go into the final time of worship together. All right? Let's press in, Lord.